Hopefully by now you have heard about our five extraordinary norms, norms that we want to establish here as um, normals, uh, uh, kind of uh, uh, practices here at, at First Free, um, but extraordinary in other places. One of those extraordinary norms is um, uh, to live life as a residential missionary. This morning, we get to welcome uh, to uh, our pulpit this morning, um, Carl Nelson. Carl is uh, the president of Transform Minnesota, which is a network of evangelical churches and pastors, church leaders in Minnesota, uh, with the goal uh, together that we can make a greater impact for the, the kingdom of God. Transform uh, Minnesota is a parent organization to other ministries that we are involved with, Arrive Ministries. Uh, we're involved with Arrive, Damascus Way. You were able to hear a little bit about Damascus Way if you were down in the gym uh, before this during the community hour. New Life Family uh, Services um, is another one of their organizations that are come underneath uh, Transform Minnesota. So we want to welcome uh, my good friend Carl Nelson to our pulpit this morning. Welcome, Carl. Thank you. Uh, it's good to be here this morning. Thank you for inviting me to come and share with you. And in, in my role, I've been at Transform Minnesota 25 years. And in my role, one of the things that is really a joy and a privilege for me is I get to visit with a lot of different pastors and talk to church leaders um, regularly. And one of the things that I want to uh, just encourage you as a congregation to do is to um, bless and stand behind your pastor, Joel. Um, I want to tell you how rare it is to find a, a leader who has served as, as long as he has in a congregation, over 20 years now, right? And I know in my experience that the, uh, the past year of leadership for me has been the hardest year of leadership that I've ever had in 25 years. And for many pastors that I talked to recently, uh, these have been difficult and trying years. And so I'm just going to say to you as a congregation to make sure that you are blessing and encouraging and supporting your pastor and for the leadership and the, uh, that he gives to you. So, Joel, thank you for doing what you do. So uh, Transform Minnesota is, is a regional network of evangelical churches, like uh, Joel said when he was introducing me. And, you know, we exist to connect uh, church leaders and pastors together to equip them because what we want to ultimately do is to enhance our witness for Jesus Christ uh, and have a transformational impact in the communities where we all live. And one of the functions of um, Transform Minnesota is to help the church of the future navigate change. And I think you all know that we live in an, in an age of rapid change, when change is accelerating. And, and as Christians, we need to be able to think biblically and thoughtfully about uh, issues of the day that, that uh, we are wrestling with as a society. Sexuality, race, refugee and immigrant, uh, criminal justice reform, the sanctity of life, topics like this. And, and at Transform Minnesota, um, we're able to do that. Uh, what that looks like on a day-to-day -day basis is that we host lots of uh, leadership conferences, lots of training seminars. We gather pastors together to pray, to network, to encourage each other. And we do that by welcoming them together to say, let's engage these complex issues with a biblical perspective and help the church of the future navigate 
change. And like Joel said, um, we're not only a church network, but we are a family of ministries and um, that are directly uh, impacting and caring for lives across the state of Minnesota. So Arrive Ministries, Damascus Way Reentry Center, you heard from Pastor Tier Webster this morning, uh, and New Life Family Services, which just opened its fifth First Care Pregnancy Center uh, nearby here in South Minneapolis at uh, Franklin and Chicago. And some of you have, have driven by that. But you as a church have been part of this network, Transform Minnesota, I think since the very beginning that w- when we started in 1965. And so for many years, you have been part of this movement that expands far beyond just the walls and the community of your church here. And I just want to say thank you and, and give you a little snapshot of the impact that that has. So as we think about the family of ministries that make up Transform Minnesota today, there are five first care pregnancy centers around the state. There are four halfway reentry houses. Our refugee resettlement program is working in four different cities. Um, altogether, there's over 100 employees in this ministry. Uh, Just this past year, there were 232 participating churches and more than 1,000 pastors and leaders who were blessed and equipped and connected through the network and through the work that we have done. So you at First Free Church are part of that, and I want to say thank you, and I want you to um, take some joy and take some pleasure in the impact that you are having. So at Transform Minnesota, we, um, we envision the renewal of the American church to become a movement of Christ followers who are bringing um, healing to people's lives and hope to their souls. But what I want to talk with you today about are four practices of the early Christian church that I think will help guide us as Christians today in America. So four practices of the early church that I believe can help to renew the American church. But first, let's talk about where are we at. So what's the state of the church? What's the state of Christianity in America today? So here's a graphic from uh, Steiger Ministries that shows in 1990 the attitude or the affiliation people had towards Christianity. So you'll see that about 30 years ago, more than 80% of Americans were at least either committed Christian or at least they were nominally Christian and had a favorable view towards Christianity. Now, if we jump ahead to 2020, so in a span of 30 years, and look what has happened, you'll see that these attitudes have changed significantly. You'll notice that um, barely 50% of Americans today are even nominally Christian and have a somewhat of a favorable view towards Christianity. In fact, 45% of Americans are what they call religiously unaffiliated. They don't connect to any form of religion. In fact, more and more of them are even becoming kind of hostile or antagonistic or look at Christianity with a negative view. Now, let me share a, let me just share you a quick story to kind of explain what this looks like. About a year ago, we had a group of our uh, individual donors together, and there was a man there who was kind of telling his own experience in the community where he lived in. He grew up in a neighborhood here in the Twin Cities, and he lived in this cul-de-sac, and he remembers growing up that all of the families in his neighborhood were Protestant Christian, and there was one Catholic Christian family. And he said everybody kind of looked at the Catholic Christian family with a little, like they were a little suspicion, like they were different. 
He grew up, went away, had a career elsewhere, eventually moved back to the Twin Cities now and lives and ends up living in the same cul-de-sac where he grew up. And what he was telling us was that now he is the only Christian family in that cul-de-sac. And he said, and you know what? They look at me with suspicion and they wonder if my Christianity is good for this neighborhood. Now, maybe you have felt that same kind of feeling yourself, maybe in the workplace, school, going about the neighborhood. I know in my neighborhood where I live in North Minneapolis, get together on a uh, potluck picnic out in the parkway and interact with my neighbors. I know that that's some of the attitude I pick up there as well. And the good news is, for what this means for us as Christians, is that we've been here before. We've been here before. In fact, Christianity has probably always done best when it's been the underdog. So if we go back 2,000 years ago, we'll find that that's how the church began. That was the environment that the church started in. So I want to um, look at some principles from the book of Acts today, the Acts of the Apostles. Acts is my favorite book in the Bible because it's the story of how Jesus' teaching and this Um, community of uh, Christians becomes reality. And I think it's a story that gives us hope for renewal of the American church today. So in Acts, you can trace the story how this tiny sect, this tiny religious sect in a small corner of the Roman Empire grew to become the majority belief in less than 300 years across the whole empire. Acts shows us how our movement spread from Jerusalem to Rome, how it started with a group of of humble fishermen from Galilee, and it grew to include the powerful members of Caesar's household and intellectual giants like the Apostle Paul, how Christianity grew from an, essentially from an ethnocentric Jewish cultural religion to a multi-ethnic faith that has embraced and elevated cultures around the world. And when we look at that story, I want to suggest that there are four practices, four principles that guide us for today, living in the, the American church today. And here's what they are. The early Christians had a missionary mindset. They built caring communities. They helped repair and restore society and they prioritized being with Jesus. The early Christians had a missionary mindset. They built caring communities. They helped repair and restore society, and they prioritized being with Jesus. So we pick up the story in the beginning of Acts. Jesus has has ascended into heaven. Uh, His group of followers are there in Jerusalem. They had very little financial resource. They were... um, fiercely opposed by the religious establishment. Uh, They didn't have any cultural influence. In fact, they were under threat of prison or death by the Roman ruling military if they did anything that kind of upset the status quo and the peace of the city. In other words, they were underdogs, right? They were underdogs. They were outsiders. There was no way for them to try and impose their beliefs or their values on the society around them. The only way for them to fulfill the mission of Jesus was they had to win the hearts and minds of their neighbors and friends. They had to win the hearts and minds, and that takes a missionary mindset. 
a missionary mindset. So Joel talked about this being one of your um, uh, spectacular, extraordinary uh, values, that being a residential missionary. So a missionary takes time to learn about the beliefs and the values and the practices of the people around them that they're trying to reach. And then they search for ways to talk about Jesus using the, the values and the language and the concepts of the people that they actually understand. One of the first examples we can get of this when we look at Acts is right at the very start, we see Peter on the day of Pentecost as um, he, in front of his, the Jewish people that he was part of, he begins to use the, the Old Testament scriptures and prophecies to explain who Jesus Messiah was using words and language that the, his audience was able to understand and relate to and to explain how this Jesus was the Messiah. Later, we see another really great example when Paul goes to Athens, so in Athens was this city that was filled with temples to many, many different gods. And in fact, there's an, an altar there that was labeled with this inscription to the unknown God. And Paul goes there and it says that when he got there, his, his spirit was troubled within him. Now, rather than condemning them and rebuking them for their you know, um, polytheism and all the different gods, Paul actually recognized that they were legitimately searching for the divine. They were trying to understand God. And so he uses language and ideas and concepts that they knew to reason and talk with them to be able to explain this unknown God that you have an altar to is actually Jesus, the creator of the entire world. The key lesson here for us today is that um, missionaries if we're called to be missionaries, missionaries don't condemn or fight against the culture so much as they try to understand it. They try to understand it and they look for ways to connect God to the longings of the heart of the people they're trying to reach. Missionaries don't shout, they don't argue, they don't harass, they don't ridicule. Missionaries go after the heart. They go after the mind. And that is one of the mindsets that we need to adopt today in the American church. So a second practice of the early uh, church is that they built caring communities. And in these caring communities, people found friendship and support, uh, places that were tightly connected together. In fact, these were caring communities that in some ways actually made life possible. It made it possible to live life in a brutal, uh, complex, difficult society. So um, in Acts chapter 2, uh, there is, um, it describes it this way. And I'll read, and I'll read this passage from Acts chapter 2. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone is filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All of the believers were together and, everything, and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Throughout the whole New Testament, we see that as the church grows, it forms these tight 
deeply knit communities and fellowship. And that was one of the ways that the gospel spread was the community that was built. Christians formed close relationships with each other. So they were eating meals together. They were spending time in each other's house. Um, you can maybe imagine for a little bit after, at the end of a long, hard day's work, you know, they would get together at someone's house, maybe in their backyard, and they would enjoy, you know, really good food and fine drink together, and they were laughing and telling stories. There was a caring community that emerged, and so when there was a need, that community came together and responded to it. When somebody was experiencing hurt or pain or sorrow, this community stood together with them. When a parent was exasperated by their children and exhausted from all the things they were having to do, someone else in the community would step in and say, send your kids over and I'll watch them for a little bit or let me help you out. When somebody was maybe hurt on a job or injured and um, they, they weren't able to work, they would pool their financial resources and they would stand behind them and help them out. So throughout the New Testament, we get this clear picture and this clear pattern that the followers of Jesus formed intimate, caring communities, and that that is one of the ways that we see how the gospel of Jesus spread was because of these caring communities that they formed. Now, we all know that life still isn't perfect, right? There's still problems that happen, and that there are parts of our society, that there are practices in our society that are broken and that don't work right. And so we pick up the story in Acts chapter 6, and if, and if you have a Bible or if you have an app, um, I want to encourage you to pull up Acts chapter 6, um, the, the beginning of that chapter, because I want to read some of this. So we pick up the story in Acts chapter 6, and there is a pivotal moment in the growth of the church. The early church is on the brink of dividing in two, and in some ways, who knows what would have happened to our Christian movement if that fracture, if that division had actually not been resolved, if the apostles had not stepped into it. And so what happens is, is that there is, a, there is a disparity between two groups of Jewish widows, between the um, uh, Hellenist Jewish widows, those are Greek-speaking, and the Hebraic Jewish widows, or those would be uh, Hebrew-speaking. And this probably stems from uh, Jewish people who had lived in captivity and had been uh, taken into the diaspora and had adopted other languages and cultures, and now they come back to Jerusalem and they are there. But then there's this insider, Hebrew-speaking Jewish community in Jerusalem. And so as the community is growing and they're caring for each other, there is, there is a disparity. And here's what it says. This is such an important story for us today that I actually want to read the whole thing. So Acts chapter 6, in those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the 12, uh, the apostles, the 12, gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, Choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole group. So they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. Also, Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. 
They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. I have turned to this story in Acts chapter 6 many times in recent years to help me kind of think and process how do I uh, navigate some of the fractures and the disparities that exist not only within our church but also within our society as a result of, uh, of our own country and society's history with racism. And this story in Acts chapter 6, I think, gives a really good example of how we can be a part of repairing and restoring a society that we live in. So here in Acts, what happens is there is a social breakdown between two groups of Christians. And, and one of the groups of widows is not getting the, the food and the support that they need. And so the apostles, they step in with a plan to heal this division. And you ask the question, well, how did they do it? So what's the, what's the key? What's the magic ingredient here? So when you look at the list, um, and maybe back up a, a slide on the screen, when you look at the list of names of the people who were chosen to be in charge of this problem, what do you notice about those names? They're all Greek names. They're all Greek names. I think it's fair for us to assume, I think we can look at that and say that these people that were chosen to address this problem and to bring resolution were actually representatives of the very people group, the subgroup that was being overlooked. And the apostles understood, kind of, they understood when Jesus gave this teaching of, you know, be a servant of all, to lift others up, they understood that in this case it applied and they needed to um, bless and empower people from within inside the people group that were being overlooked. And so they chose these deacons, and the story doesn't say exactly how they took care of the problem, but it tells us what the result was, right? It tells us that they took care of it, and that the word of God spread, the number of disciples increased rapidly. Wow, wouldn't that be great to experience today? Wouldn't it be great that instead of watching and feeling like the church is declining, if we saw a rapid increase in the number of people that were following Jesus. And I think one of the practices of us, for us as a church today, that can help to renew the American church is for us to be part of helping to restore and repair things that are broken and hurting in our society. Folks, we're in a world of hurt here in our own city. Um, reports of loneliness and depression are rising. People need help making their relationships work. Families are struggling. Lots of times families have a hard time keeping it together. Violence is on the rise. It's hard to miss it. You know, just two weeks ago, there was a boy who was stabbed to death at Harding High School in St. Paul in school. Just this week after his funeral, there were three more uh, kids at the funeral who were shot. Two of them have since died. If you remember Christmas time, there was a young man shot at the Mall of America. I could go on and on with the shooting violence, but it's too much. But clearly, we're hurting. Clearly, we have a problem in our society and people are hurting. Uh, sociologists talk about deaths of despair. These are deaths due to um, drug overdoses, suicide, and how it's on the rise 
in our society. In my own life, I was thinking of this recently. I just was counting up. In my own life, I can identify four men, four adult men, who have died either of drug overdose or suicide in the past year. Jesus came to give abundant life, to bring healing. And as his followers, part of what we have to do is we have to be a movement that is helping to repair and restore and bring healing to a hurting society. So the final point that we learn from the early church is, is actually the most important. And that was this. They prioritized being with Jesus. So even though, when we look at the story in Acts chapter 6, even though the apostles said, this is a problem that we need to solve, what they recognized was, um, we still need to be with Jesus. We still have a special calling to, to preach the word, to lead prayer and ministry. And so there was an important lesson there that they recognized um, doing the good work of the gospel doesn't displace the good word of the gospel. And they understood that it was important that they remain with Jesus. They understood that, that none of all of this work that was happening, the tight-knit community, um, the, the work of repairing broken lives in society, that none of this was truly possible if you don't have Jesus. All of this, all of the things that come together to make this possible come from Jesus. The love, the patience, the kindness that make Christian community possible it comes from Jesus. The mercy, the compassion, the forgiveness that makes restoring uh, society possible, it all comes from Jesus. And if you don't have Jesus, then you have none of this. None of this is possible. Earlier in the story of Acts, Peter and John are brought before the religious elite, and they're questioned and they're challenged about these things they've been saying and teaching about Jesus and the and the, um, the religious leaders look at them and they see these uh, working class fishermen from the backwaters of Galilee, as they describe it. And as they're listening to Peter and John and listening to their, to their explanation of Jesus Christ, the only thing they could answer and say was, they've been with Jesus. Clearly they have been with Jesus. Um, Tim Keller paraphrases James Smith uh, when he talks about the process of how do we change our mind, how do we learn, how do we grow, and he says this, we are primarily changed not by what we think, but by what we love. We are changed by what we love. So can people tell that I have been with Jesus? When people look at my actions and my priorities, are they different? Because I've been with Jesus I've been with Jesus and I'm shaped by my love for him. Am I preferring others? Am I serving others? Am I showing honor to others? Because I've been with Jesus. If we're going to see renewal in the American church, if we're going to see a rebirth, we need to spend time with Jesus. We need to devote ourselves to becoming like him, to becoming like his disciples, acting and loving the way he did. I have hope. I have hope for the future because the Christian movement has done this multiple times through our 2,000-year history, and it began as a movement of people and based on these principles and many others, but ones that I want to leave with you today is to say, let us learn to have a missionary mindset. Let's build caring communities, and let's help to repair and restore society, and let's make sure that we prioritize being with Jesus.